Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Another male politician falls to allegations of sexual abuse. This this time it's the New York Attorney General. What do you say? Resigned last night. What do you say, folks? Great to see you on a Tuesday, Tuesday, May 8th. Here we go with the Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C. That's our nation's capital, last time I checked. And here we are right in the middle of it, right in the heart of the action on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Capitol building, just down the street from the United States Supreme Court, and about five metro stops from the White House. We're bringing you all the news of the day, not just from Washington, but from around the country and around the globe. Thanks so much for joining us. Big stories today. Yes, indeed. The sudden resignation last night of uh, New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman. Today, big hearing. No, tomorrow, I'm sorry, is the big hearing. Today, a lot of the debate about the confirmation of Donald Trump's nominee to be the next director of the CIA. Yes, indeed. Big primaries today in Ohio, Indiana, North Carolina, West Virginia, uh, and we'll be taking, we'll be keeping an eye on them. And a first lady of the United States saying we all have to be our best. And the NRA has a new president, a convicted felon as president of the NRA. How appropriate. So much to talk about. So much you will want to comment on. Get ready. Get your comments coming in on Twitter at BP Show. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news right here in Washington. It is a big, big sports day. Mm -hmm. The Nationals won last night. The Wizards are out of the playoffs. But the Washington Capitals hockey team, they advanced to 
the final round of uh, the Eastern Conference last night. It's the first time that they've done that in 20 years. Now, if you haven't followed hockey, and I don't follow hockey very I don't closely, either. but here's the deal. The Capitals have been one of the best teams in hockey for a while now. They've but, been a really, really good team, but they can never make right. it out of the first round of the playoffs yep. or they can never make it out of the second round of the playoffs. Last night, they changed all of that. Kind of like the Nets. <laughs> kind of like the Nets. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like the Nets. They took it to overtime last night to win. Uh, a 2-1 uh, to one was the final score. They will now face the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Eastern Conference Finals, which means the winner of that will go on to the Stanley Cups, who are essentially down to the final four in hockey. Oh, very, very exciting. You know, I have the Capitals haven't done this. I've never been to a Caps game. Uh, they're fun. It's yeah. been a while since I've gone to one. I'm not a real ho- I'm not a big hockey guy, but they're fun. Uh, yeah, you know, but I, I I used to go in L.A. Um, they're hard to watch. I find soccer. Ma- I mean, uh, hockey matches because that puck is so small and it moves so fast. But anyhow, great, great, great moment for Washington sports. It's a big, big. I mean, I was watching some people that I follow on Twitter that that talk oh, about sports. They were just yeah. like, this is a huge deal. Like, this is a really, really big deal. So, congratulations if you are a Nats fan. Uh, hey, or a Capitals fan. Hey, buddy, it's hot out there. How hot is it? Well, if you're in Phoenix, Arizona, you have record-breaking heat. The temperature in Phoenix on Sunday was 106 degrees. God. 106 God. degrees. Now, the previous record here in Phoenix was set in uh, in May of 1947 at 105. Mm. So this is a record that has stood for 71 years and that was broken and we're not even in the summer yet no, man no like, it's yeah. gonna it's gonna be a brutal brutal summer so a record high temperature was set for phoenix it's it's the highest it's been in 71 years and one final story of course if it's hot out there you got to make sure you hydrate but one thing you don't want to use are these like gatorade sports drinks a new study from harvard says that teens are using more and more of these sports drinks because their market is being healthier than sodas. Yeah. They're really not healthier than sodas. Mm. They're still very sugary, loaded with that with that stuff. So And by the way, they're not cheap. No. You know? Here's the thing. Drink some water. Yeah. Drink yeah. some water. Mm-hmm. Ice water. Nothing beats it. This is the Bill Press Show. Will Trump dump Rudy? Yeah, that's the latest rumor coming out here. Apparently, the president's uh, not too happy with the performance of Rudy Giuliani, who uh, hasn't seen a television camera yet that he doesn't love. Uh, And he's just been making rounds of the uh, TV studios instead of doing his job, apparently making a lot of people. And and by the way... Not calming things down at all, just stirring things up, raising more questions than answers. And apparently he has uh, annoyed a lot of people in the White House, including the POTUS himself. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? It's the Bill Press Show. It's good to have you with us today on Tuesday, May 8, as we uh, beam out to you live all the way across this great land of ours, all the way around the globe from our studio. Boom. Right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. And we join you wherever you are in this great land of ours online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you on Free Speech TV. How about it? You're looking good out there in TV land and on the radio. 
We're proud to be uh, your morning progressive hit on the great WCPT out in the greater Chicago area. And to join you statewide in Indiana today, big primary today in Indiana, on Indiana Talks with all the news of the day and a great lineup of guests, Zoe Tillman, who covers the courts, uh, the whole legal system for BuzzFeed, will be joining us as our first guest, followed by Emily Stewart, political reporter for Vox, uh, and then Andrew Desiderio from the Daily Beast, covers Congress for the Daily Beast with lots and lots to talk about. The big stories, of course, include Donald Trump's announcement today. He will tell us today what he's going to do about the Iran deal. We think we know. Uh, yes, uh, Congress, the Senate Intelligence Committee, gearing up for the big confirmation hearing uh, on Gina Haspel to be the next director of the CIA. The White House is pulling out all the stops. So are the opposition and a blockbuster announcement up in New York State where the Attorney General from New York, Eric Schneiderman, nobody has been more aggressive in going after uh, Donald Trump, Harvey Weinstein, and other alleged sexual abusers, and now he himself accused of sexual abuse by four different women. Uh, when that story came out in the New Yorker last night, we'll tell you more about it. Uh, Eric Schneiderman abruptly resigned, saying he couldn't do his job while he was um, under those, fighting those, uh, responding, I should say, to those allegations. Um, so those are all the big stories of the day. You know, every once in a while, something catches my attention, which I just uh, can't resist. Here it is today, my favorite story. So uh, the question is, um, you know, there are a lot of great art museums here in Washington, D.C. And sure. so, um, you know, sometimes you go to an art museum and... Um, you know, even some of the classical, right, art are nudes, nude statues, right? Or, oh, yeah. Or paintings of nudes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a beautiful, beautiful human figure worth admiring, and you see the nudes on the pedestals or whatever. Well, here's a case in, New, in Paris where the nudes were not on the pedestals. The nudes were looking at the art. The studio, it's a contemporary art studio in Paris, the largest contemporary art studio in Paris called the Palais de Tokyo. Uh, and they had one show open only to people in the nude. Okay, they, hang on, hang on. Yeah. I just want to make sure I have this right. Yes. So, so the whole museum. To go look at the art. You couldn't, you had to take your clothes off. You had to take your clothes off. They didn't allow any clothed people in for the show. And so they thought that, that this would be a naturalist association approached the museum, suggested this, the museum finally said, okay, they would try it out. They put out the word on Facebook, how many people would be interested in this. They thought they might get about like 100 people. 30,000 signed up. What? Excuse me? 30,000 signed up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> and on uh, this one particular day, they, did the, they actually had 116 allowed. They gave away 116 tickets. Um, and... Um, so they came in, they went to a, a changing room, took off all their clothes, and then they were given a little tour of the uh, of the museum by a clothed guide. Which well, that is seems sort of, unfair. That seems unfair. Yeah, well, right. my question to you is, how was it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but so there's a picture in the New York Times this morning of these buck-naked people, all, all from the back, by the way. Sure, sure. Uh, walking down the steps into the <laughs> into the museum. Uh, I think I'd feel a little uncomfortable 
There's a whole conversation about <laughs> good naked versus bad naked. Yes, right. right. Like well, there this was, good, there's good naked. There this, is good this, naked. This like, I feel like this is, might be bad naked. Like I don't think I want to do this naked. Well, you don't get to choose. I mean, <laughs> the people that are allowed in, they don't look and say, no, mm, yeah. yeah, you got a body that will take. No, you right, don't, right? Right, right, You get the first 116 to come in. So I'm sure there was some good naked and some bad naked. Sure. Would you do that? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. You know, Ray, what's, you know what's fun? Being naked and, like, skinny dipping is fun. Yeah, right. Uh, sleeping naked is fun. Visiting a museum. Visiting a museum around a bunch of other, other yeah, naked people. Right. No, that's not, that's not fun to me. Yeah. No, I got it wrong. It's 161. I just uh, okay. misplaced the numbers there. Yeah, 161. Uh, and the, the man who organized these exhibits said, what a healthy thing this was. He's quoted in the New York Times as saying, the New York Times this morning is saying, if world leaders had their meetings naked, they would stay a lot calmer. So maybe we would should. They? Say... <laughs> <laughs> like so, I, I know I'm not a world leader, but like if we just took this down to like the regular person level, like if you were to have to have meetings at work and everybody else was naked, that would be weird. Well, I was thinking that this might be the plan for the upcoming North Korean summit. With Buddy. Donald Trump and <laughs> and Kim Jong Un. Well, there goes the rest of my morning. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> next time you're in Paris, go by the uh, Palais de Tokyo, and you might um, it might be the most exciting. Just museum. make sure you go to the right showing. Like, you don't want to show up naked to one that's like yeah, a clothed right. version of it. Right. Exactly. I don't. The last time I checked, uh, the Smithsonian has no plans here in Washington. Uh, the National Gallery. Uh, would you uh, honestly? Would you go to that? No. Of course not. No. That's crazy. <laughs> no. All right. So uh, I just want to get that out of the way. Yes, indeed, it is. Oh gosh, where do we start? Uh, Eric Schneiderman is really the big story, uh, and you know, it's it's he did the right thing. He did the right thing. I mean, in resigning, <laughs> not in allegedly at least abusing this woman. This is another story of the uh, in the New Yorker. Uh, the New Yorker way out in front on uh, on this issue that it was a New Yorker that broke the story about Harvey Weinstein. And by the way, Eric Schneiderman, uh, very aggressive, very effective uh, attorney general of New York, considered, and remember Andrew Cuomo was the attorney general before, he was considered to be probably the next governor of New York. And after that, who knows, everybody was saying he's a rising star in the Democratic Party. No longer. Uh, uh, as soon as a Harvey Weinstein article broke in uh, the New Yorker, it was uh, um, Eric Schneiderman who who filed charges against it, uh, uh, started an investigation. And if I, if I, I don't know where they filed charges yet, but in, a big investigation of Harvey Weinstein uh, and others. Uh, and he's been snared uh, in the, with the same, or tarred, I should get, say, with the same brush uh, now as four women uh, have come forward and told the New Yorker uh, that in, during um, they all had romantic relationships with him, uh, and during that time he engaged in a lot of physical abuse, choking them, slapping them, uh, much, much against their consent. Uh, and Schneiderman last night um, immediately put out a statement saying uh, he could not continue to do his job while he was uh, responding to these allegations and he resigned as attorney general. He'd been asked to resign or uh, proposed that he should resign by Governor Cuomo earlier in the day and Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. Um, 
sad to see a public a, a good a good uh, aggressive attorney general like that resign but um looks like he did wrong and he did the right thing in resigning uh, the flip side of this is of course that the white house could not wait to celebrate the fact uh, that someone who is a critic of trump was caught up in the same mess uh kellyanne conway from the white house put out a statement saying uh, uh qu- quoting quoting uh, Attorney General Eric Schneiderman from a few months ago when he tweeted, no man is above the law, referring to Donald Trump and the Stormy Daniels uh, and uh, the other allegations against him by uh, mm, 20 women the last time I checked. Uh, and at any rate, Kellyanne Conway quoted, this was Eric Schneiderman, and she said, gotcha. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. put out that same statement, no man is above the law, and then he tweeted out something like... Uh, you know, that's... I'm actually looking at his Twitter. Oh, he, there it he is. He put yeah. out eight different tweets. What, Donnie Jr.? Donnie Jr. Eight different tweets. All of them just a little too giddy about gloating, the, gloating, totally gloating. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Just really obnoxious. And again, I, I don't feel sorry for Eric Schneiderman. No. But you have to remember that at the heart of these cases are women who were abused, and in this case. Women who were not only sexually abused but physically, physically right. abused by Eric Schneiderman, and the and the jokes that are being made by Donald Trump Jr., son of the president of the United States, are just like really out of line. And and he's sort of celebrating the fact that oh, a Democrat got caught up in the same mess. But here's here, here's the difference. Yeah, Democrats uh, have gotten caught up in this. It's not Demo- a Democratic or Republican issue, but Democrats. Al Franken resigned. Eric Schneiderman resigned donald trump attacks yeah. sues denies and he's still there right and refuses to accept any responsibility at all big difference in the way eric schneiderman and donald trump have handled this uh, donald trump the president is tweeting this morning he has not tweeted about eric schneiderman yet but i would imagine that it's coming uh, oh, yeah yeah, he'll follow the lead of uh, Donnie Jr. and uh, and Kellyanne Conway. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, so, Gina Haspel, I haven't talked much about her today. It, it, she is, uh, t- t- or even yesterday we mentioned it just briefly, but the White House is now on a full, full stop campaign. By the way, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but, yeah. but I mentioned the president's tweeting. His uh, tweet this morning from about five minutes ago was about Gina Haspel. He says, Gina Haspel, my highly respected nominee to lead the CIA, is being praised for the fact that she has been and will always be, all capital letters, tough on terror. Mm-hmm. This is a woman who has been a leader wherever she has gone. The CIA wants her to lead them into America's bright and glorious future. This is a big deal, folks, whether or not uh, she is confirmed. So first of all, I think the Senate Intelligence Committee has a an un- unusual dilemma facing them when they hold this hearing tomorrow. Uh, Do you appoint to one of the most important jobs in the government a person who didn't want the job in the first place or as recently as last Friday said she was going to drop out because she didn't think she could be confirmed and she didn't want to go through this mess? That was reported by the Washington Post and confirmed. And so Sarah Huckabee Sanders and White House Counsel Don McDan McGann ran out to the CIA Friday afternoon and twisted her arm for hours and hours. And finally, Saturday afternoon, she said, okay, I'll stay in it. I'll keep going. 
I'll go through the hearing and the White House uh, and now the White House is again doing everything they can to support her. Here is uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday uh, at the briefing saying this is the one she deserves this job. Acting Director Haspel is a highly qualified, uh, uniquely positioned individual to lead the CIA, and we're very confident in her ability to answer the questions that we know are going to come. Yeah. Well, there's only one problem, right? She's been at the CIA for 33 years. But here is part of Gina Haspel's record at the CIA, uh, which is that right after September 11, when the George Bush, W. Bush administration uh, led at that time by Dick Cheney, uh, decided that they were going to round up suspects, terrorist suspects, around the globe. And since we do not torture here in this country, we would make a deal with um, some 10 other countries, uh, not just 10 countries, but we set up 10 different prisons called black site prisons in friendly countries, uh, one in Poland, I know, uh, one in Thailand, uh, where these countries would agree to allow torture to take place on their territory by our agents... CIA agents, and of course, against the law, against the Geneva Conventions, torture is illegal in this country and worldwide, but these countries would allow it to happen, uh, so-called enhanced interrogation techniques. And Gina Haspel was sent by the CIA, and emails show that she was very, very willingly accepted this responsibility, and she oversaw a torture prison in Thailand. Uh, under her watch, at least one person was waterboarded. One other person was waterboarded before she got there. So she's in charge of a torture facility. And not only that, a couple of years later, she was part of a, a successful effort to shred and destroy a hundred videotapes of those waterboarding sessions. So you get it? Here's a woman who engaged in a war crime, in torture, and then destroyed the evidence of it, and she's been nominated to be head of the CIA. And the White House is saying, Peter just read Donald Trump's tweet, oh, she did the right thing, she's tough on terror. Yeah, well, tough on terror does not mean War crimes does not mean that you yourself become a terrorist. Uh, and Donald Trump out there supporting her. Um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, we just heard, supporting her at the briefing yesterday. And, of course, most important of all for Donald Trump is Fox and Friends supporting her yesterday morning. Brian Kilmeade saying, damn, damn right, shouldn't be proud of torturing people. 32-year career. And if she can just explain what she was doing, and I believe she should double down and say, I'm proud of what I accomplished, whether it was black sites, enhanced interrogation, and I dare anyone to sit in my shoes and accomplish as much as I've done. Mm -hmm. And Steve Ducey immediately piped up and said, yeah, let's remember she was just following orders, which is exactly the defense that the uh, that Nazi uh, concentration camp guards used in the Nuremberg trials. Yeah, they were just following orders. So. They did nothing. They did nothing wrong. Uh, a lot riding on this, uh, on the on this big uh, hearing yesterday, t tomorrow. 
in the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, Gina Haspel, no way should be director of the CIA. You know, the CIA's got a murky past way back in the 70s when they were trying to assassinate foreign leaders, um, hiring members of the Russian mafia to try to assassinate Fidel Castro. There was a whole Frank Church Committee that uh, that uh, ended a lot of those abuses, brought them to light. Uh, and then they sort of got their got their stuff back together. And then along comes George W. Bush and the CIA is involved in torture, involved in killer drones, involved in helping Dick Cheney cherry pick the information to lead up to the Iraq war. So you know, they get this bad reputation all over again. The last thing they need right now is somebody who represents that era. They need somebody who's going to take the CIA into the into the future and not be part of its murky past and restore its reputation. Well, uh, here's a, I got a little bit of uh, um, advice for you this morning. I want you all to um, be your best. Yes, be best. That's the that's a new slogan. That's that'll get you through the day. Be best. That was announced yesterday by First Lady Melania Trump in the Rose Garden. I'm very excited to announce Be Best, an awareness campaign dedicated to the most valuable and fragile among us, our children. And what's it all about, First Lady? Tell us. It concerns me that in today's fast-paced and ever-connected world, Children can be less prepared to express or manage their emotions and oftentimes turn to forms of destructive or addictive behavior such as bullying, drug addiction, or even suicide. Bullying? Bullying? <clears throat> Did she ask the man she's married to about bullying? Uh, well, what is your reaction to... Uh, the uh, People had different reactions to this program announced yesterday by, uh, uh, by the First Lady. Uh, maybe you share the reaction of someone who is sitting right in the front row, Donald Trump. America is truly blessed to have a first lady who is so devoted to our country and to our children. And everywhere she goes, says the president, people are lifted up. Everywhere she has gone, Americans have been touched by her sincerity, moved by her grace and lifted by her love. You might have that reaction. My reaction was, give me a break. I mean, this is such a phony, phony program, number one. And number two, it's not new. It's stolen. Yeah, it, it was, I, it, it's this, curious that he used the word lifted there. Yeah, lifted. Yes, yeah, lifted they lifted. is appropriate. They lifted this. Uh, and uh, immediately it was reported, this entire program, be best, anti-online bullying, anti-cyberbullying, was put out by the uh, FTC two years ago. No, four what? years ago. I'm 2014. sorry. 2014. Four years ago. Word for word. All they did, they changed, right, on the on the uh, little image of it, they changed the cell phone from an older cell phone to a newer version of a cell phone, the picture of it. Otherwise, it is word for word what was put out the FTC four years ago. And again... If you're talking about cyberbullying, you know what parents are telling their kids today when they talk about bullying? Don't be Donald Trump. Don't be like Donald Trump, the number one cyberbully in the country. And she, 
they have the audacity, him sitting in the front row and her up there talking about cyberbullying, when everybody knows, you know, what, what an over-the-top personal attack tweeter Donald Trump is. It's just disgusting. You know, I think th- this is the the most meaningless first lady campaign since Nancy Reagan, don't say no, or just, just say, say no, no. Yeah. just say no, Well, it, it, which is, again, totally vacuous, totally empty, totally ineffective, totally wrong. And now be best, everybody, be best. It, it really is amazing that it's been over a year since Donald Trump took office, right? And usually a first lady comes in with some sort of agenda, some sort of a project that they want to work on. Um, you know, Laura Bush wanted to get kids to read more. Michelle Obama, let's move. Yes. Right? Like we have a right. major obesity problem among right. kids in no. this country. And so this is what they rolled out. And to be fair, like online bullying is a real, like they're having to talk about this in schools now. Like totally. I've, got a, I've got a teenager. Totally. And they have to talk to them about no, how it's to use Snapchat, real, how to use Instagram, yeah, how to use Twitter. It's a real issue. But they've had all this time to work on it. And the best they could come up with is plagiarizing a four-year-old guide from the FTC. In fact, it was so bad yesterday they put this thing out, Be Best, a program, and they gave out this this sort of pamphlet and this this information about it saying uh, from Melania Trump that they had to go back and change it after people called them out on it and saying, oh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. actually, it's, it's not by the FTC promoted pro- by, by Melania Trump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Uh, exactly. And again... Uh, it's so outrageous that the poster child, right, the poster boy of bad social media behavior is the president of the United States. Nobody even comes close. Uh, so maybe, you know, um, <clears throat> Be Best starts at home. I, I hate to get too picky, but Be Best doesn't even make grammatical sense, right? Okay, Be Your Best be the best be the you best. can be. Be the best, sure. Be the best, but be best isn't even English. Uh, <clears throat> all right, so much for uh, the First Lady's program. Uh, I don't believe we're blessed to have heard it. Uh, one final thing before we take a break here. The NRA has a new president. Aren't you excited? Uh, yeah, I think the NRA is a perfect president. Uh, they uh, dug up Ollie North. I thought he was dead, actually. But they dug up Ollie North. He is now the president. The first, there is so excited, the first celebrity president of the NRA since Charlton Heston. Uh, and it's so appropriate. Let's remember Ollie North, yes, White House aide uh, under uh, Ronald Reagan, who was, yes, indeed, running a program, the Iran-Contra program. Remember what they were doing. They were selling arms to a terrorist nation. They were selling arms clandestinely illegally, to Iran. They were using the money from the illegal sale of weapons to a terrorist nation to buy weapons for the Contras who were trying to overthrow a duly elected government, the Sandinista government in Nicaragua. So it was the Iran-Contra deal run out of the White House by Ali North. He was convicted on three felony counts of breaking the law, including lying to Congress and destroying evidence. He was later able to get those convictions overturned uh, because he said that his testimony given under immunity to Congress tainted the jury. But nonetheless, 
convicted felon, Ali North, convicted of illegally selling weapons to Iran and providing weapons to the Contras, is now head of the NRA. Sounds like, sounds like someone you might not want to give a gun to. Uh, yeah, hello. Uh, but it sounds does sound like the perfect match for the, uh, for the NRA. There we go. Quick break. We're going to be back with uh, Zoe Tildman, a reporter covering the courts and justice for uh, BuzzFeed. Hang in there. Take a quick break. We'll be right back. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. You got it on a Tuesday, May 8th. Hello, everybody. Welcome back here to the Bill Press Show with all the big news of the day. As we come to you live from our studio on Capitol Hill here in Washington, D.C., well, we're brought to you today by the International Association of Iron Workers. Yes, indeed. The, the Iron Workers of America, under the leadership of President Eric Dean, rebuilt, they're building our communities today and ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow. Check, uh, check out their website at www.ironworkers.org. A lot of legal news with um, in the uh, legal. Uh, matters, I guess, in the news these days, from the Mueller investigation to the Cohen investigation to the res- sudden resignation of the Attorney General of New York. Zoe Tillman for BuzzFeed is on top of all of those issues, joining us in studio. Hi, Zoe. Hey, nice Bill. to see you. Good to see you. Uh, Eric Schneiderman, um, sudden resignation last night, um, the very afternoon that the uh, these allegations first appeared online from the New Yorker. Um, Harry, how serious are they, and what does this mean? I mean, they're serious enough. I think it took three hours from when the news broke to when his resignation was announced. It was it was fast and furious in terms of response. You know, the article came out. There was maybe a half hour as everyone digested what the story had said, where we had four women, two of them on the record coming forward and describing in detail allegations of abuse by Eric Schneiderman. Um, Including choking, slapping. Yep, non-consensual physical abuse during intimate relationships, also manipulation. They describe types of psychological abuse by him, describing him as controlling. And And these all four relationships were started out as consensual relationships from what I've read, right? Right. They all admitted they had a romantic relationship with him. He's a single man. Mm -hmm. But but it evolved into, in each case, according to them, Mm -hmm. physical abuse. That's right. Serious physical abuse. It did, and several of the women described um, feeling conflicted and getting responses from people they talked to about this, saying, you know, maybe you can't go forward because he's too important to... The Democratic cause. He's doing all this work against the Trump administration. And I think one or two of them described feeling conflicted about coming forward with the allegations, but then feeling um, angry seeing him standing up as a champion of the Me Too movement, going after Harvey Weinstein. Um, and these women described just reaching a breaking point and deciding it was time for them to come forward and talk about this. Right. Um, uh, what strikes me is. Um, the difference in the way he has responded to these allegations and the way Donald Trump has responded to uh, allegations, not so much of physical abuse, but sexual abuse, and in some cases, sexual assault, Mm -hmm. as he himself admitted on the uh, Access Hollywood tape. Yeah, I mean, I think what was 
striking about the the story about Eric Schneiderman was, you know, these are women, two of them who spoke on the record. There was a lot of corroborating evidence, written records, but people that they talked to, um, you know, you got the sense that even if, you know, he's denied, we should say that he's denied the allegations mm-hmm. of right. abuse. He said right. these were consensual relationships that he was involved in. Um, but given the pressure that came in immediately from groups that he, you know, his office needs to work with, liberal advocacy groups, mm-hmm. women's mm-hmm. rights groups, uh, other, you know, democratic establishment, it was sort of an immediate pushback that he faced from all sides in a way that you could say the president has not faced from his base and from his party. So I think in terms of talking about why he resigned so quickly, you just get the sense that there was going to be no way for him to do anything and do any work if he tried to fight back. Yeah, right. There's been zero pushback from congressional Republicans or from uh, conservative organizations from the evangelical community or certainly not from Donald Trump's base against uh, all the, um, the, the allegations that have come forward by some 20 women about Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on to Stormy Daniels, who does not, by the way, uh, accuse Donald Trump of any no. sexual abuse or assault, right? Right. Just that she wants to be out from under this non-disclosure uh, agreement. Um, and so... He to kind of put this whole thing to bed. Uh, he hired Rudy Giuliani. How's that working out? It's it's an exciting time <laughs> to be a lawyer in Washington, trying to you know a reporter trying to keep track of all of this. You know, but if, Rudy, uh, if the goal was to have to Rudy to calm things down, right, and to resolve this issue successful. and get it out of the news. <laughs> It's just been just the opposite. I think when you when you surprise Sean Hannity and, you know, people have said, you know, yes. when Sean when I think it started from sort of in a forum where nobody expected him to make news. This was a friendly forum. He was on Fox News. Um, and you could hear Sean Hannity sort of sound surprised when surprised. Rudy admitted. Oh, I didn't know that. When Rudy said, you know, that the, the yeah. president knew about the payments. Um, no, he he hasn't quieted it down at all. And he said, you know, I was brought in to deal with the Mueller probe. I was not brought in to deal with Stormy Daniels, but that's all anyone has been talking about. And he is still talking about it. He hasn't stopped going on TV and stopped talking to reporters about it. And whether this is all part of some grand genius legal strategy that will ultimately you know, get the president out from under this, or if this is everyone just flying by the seat of their pants and no one knows what's going on, we will find out. I think one of the most uh, shocking things he said, uh, or surprising maybe to the White House too, was Sunday with George Stephanopoulos on uh, uh, this week, where he, uh, in response to a question, are there other women? Did he pay off other women? And Rudy said, well, probably, if, if necessary. I'm yeah. sure he did. I don't know of any, but I'm sure he did if necessary. Right. He said this is work that Michael Cohen did for his yeah. for Trump, for his clients. So when you talk about the fixer, what he was fixing, right? He left were the door covering open. Up, covering up affairs. Actually, he didn't. There wasn't a, an unequivocal no when asked about it. I think he left the door open to the extent that it, it seemed to make folks uh, uncomfortable and a little nervous on the president's team. Well, about... At the same time, if you're Donald Trump's lawyer... And your question is, was Stormy Daniels the only one that he had an extramarital affair with? You know you'd have to say no. 
Uh, I, I mean, I'm sorry, you could not say no. Yeah. Right? You'd have to leave the door open, knowing your client. Yeah, I think this gets into... Um, uncertainty about what exactly the president has told Rudy Giuliani and what Rudy is, where he's getting his information from, right? Because the president well, has already come back and said, Rudy needs to get his facts straight. I was going to say, right, someday Rudy will get his facts straight. Right. right. I mean, he's new. As it's, if it's, the president will ever tell him the truth. He's So far, it seems like he's talking to Rudy, whether he's talking to his other lawyers, other folks at the White House Counsel's Office. We don't know if Rudy is communicating with the other lawyers who are supposed to be here helping the president and uh, you know dealing with Mueller. And we don't know how much communication there is outside <coughs> the unit of Trump and Giuliani. And we don't know who else is influencing what either of them are saying to the world. Aren't or they to supposed to be like a team working together? rather than just one guy like Rudy Giuliani running off from TV station to TV station saying whatever pops into his head? In theory, normally, yeah. that's how you would think a legal team would act, but none of this is normal. Well, I thought it was uh, a very uh, uh, interesting yesterday on this question about other women. The question came up at, the, uh, at our briefing at the White House, uh, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders sort of backs down a little bit, right? She's, and we saw this happen with Sean Spicer. Instead of like just flat out denials, right? They're leaving a little wiggle room. So here's Sarah Huckabee Sanders in response to that question. I'm not aware of any uh, other activity, but I would refer you to uh, Rudy Giuliani to respond to any of those questions or anybody else on the president's outside counsel. Yeah, because he's doing such a great job. But yeah, right. So I'm not aware of uh, any others. Me neither. Right. But, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but that's a, that's a safe ground. It is. And I think you we see her often now referring questions, any questions about Stormy Daniels, about Michael Cohen, to the outside lawyers. And I think there's this sense of there is some divide between the work that the lawyers are doing in the White House and the work that the president's lawyers are doing for him, right? Because the lawyers in the White House, Trump is their client, but their client is ultimately the president of the United States and his office. And their interests in defending that office may be different from what Trump's personal lawyers think are best for their client, sure. the individual, Donald Trump. Now, the other party in this uh, little mix-up, we haven't heard from uh, in a week or so, and that is Michael Cohen. Um, he, hasn't, he hasn't said whether he fixed things for, like, any other women. Uh, he hasn't really talked about, in response to all of this Rudy Giuliani saying that Donald Trump paid him back, you know, in installments. Um, he hasn't commented on that. He hasn't commented on whether or not they reported this, or, or, but whether he and Donald Trump talked about it when he told Donald Trump what he was doing. I mean, so why the sudden radio silence from Michael Cohen? Well, I think when FBI agents raid your house <laughs> and your office, it may spark Sends a different a response. <laughs> Perhaps then. Yeah. I mean, this investigation, well, an investigation has come a lot closer to Michael Cohen than it has to the president. You know, you've had right. prosecutors, you know, executing, uh, applying for getting search warrants, which means they there's a showing of probable cause uh, to a judge who has to sign off on these, um, you know, executing search warrants on his personal residence, his office. Um, we don't know what possible crimes they think he may have committed or that they're investigating, but it's all come a lot closer to home for Michael Cohen than it has for some of the other players here. 
and that may explain some of the the silence that's coming from his camp recently. Uh, and, and does it mean that he uh, is trying to distance himself a little bit from Donald Trump because he knows what it may cost him? Uh, well, we don't know, but I, I think it is generally once you you know that you are the subject of a criminal investigation, you, in theory, you sort of start looking out for yourself and figuring out your legal strategy. And he's dealing with document issues with what's privileged, what prosecutors in Manhattan are going to get to keep. His lawyers are really busy dealing with, a, I would say, a more imminent situation than the one that the president and Rudy Giuliani are dealing with right now. Right. So it's certainly that this New York attorney's office, U.S. attorney's office up there, investigation and the FBI investigation of Michael Cohen is more th- more of a threat to Michael Cohen than anything else. Is it a bigger threat to Donald Trump than the Mueller investigation? It really depends on what exactly they're looking at. You know, there are reports that Michael Cohen might be under investigation for issues dealing with taxicab medallions, mm-hmm. you know, work that had nothing to do with his work for Donald Trump, but to the extent it had to do with the Stormy Daniels payment. If they're looking at that relationship, it certainly comes a lot closer to the president. But there have been reports that Michael Cohen may be under investigation for completely unrelated matters. And at that point, it's unclear if they're using that to put pressure on him to get information on the president or if they really are focused on these other possible issues in his past predating or or concurrent to Mm. his work with the president. Zoe Tillman's with us from BuzzFeed. Buzzfeed BuzzFeed.com is the website. So as you mentioned, Rudy was brought on um, originally tasked with uh, the dealing with because Mueller used to work for him when Rudy was U.S. attorney, so they have a relationship. They know each other. So Rudy was brought on to to his 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 task was okay. You deal with this question about whether or not uh, the president's going to be interviewed by Mueller, uh, and if so, what questions are going to be asked, and how is it going to be videotaped, questions in writing. I understand that Mueller has already said, no, this is not going to be done in writing. You can't get away with that. So, but as you pointed out earlier, Rudy's spending more time talking about Stormy than Robert Mueller. But he has said a couple of things about that. Uh, He said that, I think it's May 17, they're going to decide this. Which is the one-year anniversary from Mueller's appointment as special counsel. So I don't know if that was just sort of a symbolic choice. For the, I mean, it is a yeah. symbolic choice, but if we don't know if there's some other reason why that date is significant. Uh, it is and Trump keeps saying he would like to meet with him, and then some days he says, no, I'm pissed off at him now. I don't want to meet with him. Uh, and then Rudy Giuliani says if he does meet with him, he might take the fifth, despite what Donald Trump said about people who take the fifth during the campaign. Mainly, they only do that because they're guilty. Uh, so... What what are the like? What's the likelihood now that there will be um, a consensual, a sit down session under oath with Robert Mueller and the President of the United States? Well, whether it's, I think we can unpack that. You know, the question of whether it would be under oath would it, it wouldn't need to be under oath. 
Um, they could have a voluntary interview okay. where he comes in, he sits down. Yeah. As several legal commentators have noted, that doesn't mean he can't be prosecuted later if he lies. It's still talking to If you the lie to the FBI, even if you're not under right. oath, it's, it's still prosecutable. Still yes. prosecutable. So, you know, the question of whether it's under oath or not is significant to a point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's this question of if Trump says no and Mueller subpoenas him to come before the grand jury, whether a Mueller can't, if you can subpoena a president in a criminal investigation is an unresolved question that would be litigated. Um, if there are other ways they try to compel his testimony, that could be litigated. Um, but I think Giuliani and the president have indicated that they're up for a fight on this. Um, and I think it's it's really unclear because we've gotten so many conflicting statements already from Rudy Giuliani. It's hard to really pin down what he's doing and what he's hearing from Mueller. We know that they've he said they've talked, but he's hedged so much already about what he knows and gone back so many times already on what he, he says has happened that I think it's a bit hard to know for sure what's really going on behind the scenes. Well, um, I must admit, I read yesterday a long piece in the New York Review of Books by Noah Feldman, a prominent legal scholar, addressing the question about whether a president can be charged with a crime Mm -hmm. while he's in office uh, for things that he did while he was in office or for things that he did before he took office and whether or not the president, a president has to, um, can be summoned by a grand jury or has to sit down with a prosecutor. Uh, I'm not an attorney, but by the end of that article, my head was swimming and I didn't know the answer to those questions. I don't know the answer to those questions either. Those are all really kind of unresolved because in the case of Bill Clinton, I mean, Richard Nixon, he resigned before uh, that had to be resolved. And in the case of Bill Clinton, he was impeached. Um, And uh, so that sort of took it away from outside counsel, right, to Congress, certainly Congress under the Constitution has the right to file impeachment charges. Right. But outside of impeachment, those are untested issues, aren't they? They are. And, you know, I think what's interesting, there was a hearing last <laughs> week in the criminal case against Paul Manafort, uh, Trump's well, former campaign chairman. And the judge spent a lot of time trying to get the lawyer from Mueller's office to admit that the reason they were prosecuting Manafort was to try to get to Trump. And he said, whether it's for prosecution or impeachment, and, you know, he really he he kept raising this question of, you know, maybe it's not even about prosecution. He raised the issue of is this all going towards you know trying to get Trump impeached? So bypassing even the legal side of this, is this whole investigation about convincing Congress that they should exercise their authority to impeach and try the president? Well, I, 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 wanted, I did want to ask you about that because the Trump White House is making a big deal of the fact that Mueller got slapped around by this judge, uh, which to them they're saying this proves that Mueller is out of control. He's going in too many directions. He's going, you know, he's exceeding his original mission or whatever. Uh, uh, and by by looking into some of these Ma- Manafort issues, which are totally unrelated to either Trump campaign or Trump right. or Trump White House. Uh, so how badly was Mueller? Um, you know, slowed down by this judge, if you will. I would say it, of, you know, having covered these hearings now over the past year almost, um, <laughs> it was maybe the worst day that Mueller's office has had in court. 
This is a, a judge that we've not spent a whole lot of time with. This is in the Virginia case, not the D.C. case. This mm-hmm. is newer. Um, you know, he asked a lot of really tough questions of Mueller's office. He suggested that their argument that the original appointment order from Mueller, which talked about the Russia investigation and sort of generally have giving them authority to investigate other matters, um, their argument that that was sort of not less important, but there was this later document from Rosenstein that more clearly spelled out what their authority was. So they were saying, don't pay as much attention. And the judge was saying, come on, you know, you publicly stated this is what he could do. How can you now come back and say, but we didn't really mean it? Um, but I, I think it's important to note, first of all, that judges tend to be a lot tougher on the government in criminal cases, in oral arguments. Just generally, I think a lot of judges see their role as a check on the power of prosecutors. They want to make sure that they're not overstepping. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they can seem to come down a lot harder on the government during arguments, this back and forth. doesn't mean that they're going to rule against the government, though. Um, I don't think you can read that much into it. And a lot of the questions about the nature of the investigation, how are they spending their money? How does this compare with the Cohen investigation? Why did they refer that out, but they kept Manafort? Um, you know, they don't really get to the question of the legal arguments that Manafort was raising for why the indictment should be dismissed. These are kind of just broader questions the judge mm-hmm. had for them. But I don't know that it means necessarily that he's going to toss this entire case out. Right? We didn't get that sense from him clearly. So um, when I look at, the, I'm probably missing a few, but um, it, I'm I'm thinking about. So here's Donald Trump with his legal battles today, right? Okay. So there's the Mueller investigation, possible collusion, obstruction of justice. There's the FBI investigation with Michael Cohen in in, in New York, possible trying to cover up a uh, hundred thirty thousand dollar payment, which was to, to influence the campaign. You've got in New York Superior Court a woman who's accusing him of sexual assault, and that case is moving forward. Um, you've got here a case by uh, the state of Maryland and the District of Columbia uh, on the emoluments clause, that he's taking money from foreign governments for all of his businesses. And you've members got, of Congress are suing him for that, too. Okay, members yeah. of Congress do. <laughs> you have Stormy Daniels suing him for defamation. Yes. Those are at least five Five legal battles that he's fighting right now at the same time. Have we ever seen a president who's so, you know, in such legal trouble at one time? I mean, not personally. I mean, a lot of people sued the Obama administration, but not personally. Right. Personally. These are personal. These are all personal directed at him. Right. I mean, we had the Valerie Plame scandal not directly involving George W. Bush, but right. engulfing his administration for a period of time, but definitely not the same level and, and nothing really getting to the president. But we know Bill that Bill Clinton, it's you we know, know before as a candidate, we knew. I mean, he is so litigious. Right. I mean, it, 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 he was involved in some 400 lawsuits or something like that at one time. And, you right. know, and and now he's involved in, you know, at least these five that we know of, at least they got rid of the uh, Trump University. Uh, lawsuit uh, against him. So um, is the Stormy Daniels defamation suit a serious something that Donald Trump has to worry about? I I think what's really interesting about the Stormy Daniels case is um, it it illuminates how much the president's tweeting is sort of untested 
legal water. Um, you know, mm. the things that he kind of puts out on Twitter and everyone, yeah. you know, acknowledges in the moment, but then they kind of bypass. And they've come up from time to time in the travel ban cases, you know, the extent yeah. to which they really represent official presidential well, statements. The White and... House says the White House says they are official presidential right. statements. That's what Sean Spicer said. Right. But I think the... judges are still a little reticent to see these, to take them as seriously um, as everyone else now, I think, has learned Will to Will Michael them. Avenatti be able to depose the president in the Stormy Daniels case? I'm sure he's going to try. <laughs> <laughs> you bet he is. <laughs> you know what? I'd, I'd rather sit in on that deposition than Robert Mueller's <laughs> deposition, because that'll get... To th- see Michael Avenatti go yeah. up against the president? Yeah, absolutely. That, that is must-see television. That would be... Uh, yeah. That would get pretty testy pretty fast, I think, would it? Yeah. Yeah. So, are you a lawyer? I'm not. Well, um, <laughs> you fake one pretty well. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> uh, and maybe it helps uh, not being a lawyer to cover all these legal issues. Uh, I don't know. But anyhow, good job, Zoe. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bill. And thanks for coming in, sure too. Thing. It's, again, buzzfeed.com. Uh, Emily Stewart joins us next to talk a little bit about the politics of the day. It's a big day with a lot of important primaries going on. Emily Stewart from Vox. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show. Or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. And on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We're going to stop that cyberbullying, says First Lady Melania Trump. Yeah, well, start talking to your husband about cyberbullying. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is a Tuesday. Tuesday, May 8th. Great to see you today, and thank you for joining us. The Bill Press Show, coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., bringing you all the news of the day. We'll tell you what's going on. You tell us what it means to you. Uh, Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, uh, as we move through the big stories of the day, what's happening here in Washington, uh, where Congress is gearing up for the big confirmation hearings tomorrow on Gina Haspel. Uh, nominated by President Trump to be the next head of the CIA. Tell you what's going on around the country, particularly some big primaries today, uh, very important primaries in West Virginia, in Ohio, in Indiana, uh, in North Carolina. Uh, And also Donald Trump today at the White House at 2 o'clock. He is going to make his announcement as to whether or not the United States will continue as part of the Iran nuclear deal Uh, We know what the president is going to do, and he already tweeted out this morning uh, a little attack on John Kerry, former Secretary of State, who's been uh, trying to rally people um, behind staying in the nuclear deal, 
uh, the president uh, telling John Kerry today to uh, get out of the way, uh, sort of an indication of where he's going at 2 o'clock today. Uh, again, look forward to hearing from you and your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Joining us uh, in studio to talk about some of the politics of the day and about this Gina Haspel hearing, Emily Stewart's a reporter for Vox here. Hello, Emily. It's nice Hi. to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and uh, we'll jump right into all of the news of the day with you, with Emily. Don't forget your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, I'm sure you've been paying attention to this story. It's right in your wheelhouse because Uh-oh. NASCAR might be up for sale. Oh, oh yes. That's yes, right in yes. my wheelhouse, the, NASCAR. You know the, how big I am on NASCAR. I know. You're a big NASCAR yeah. fan. <laughs> uh, the stock car racing company is owned by the France family, and they have engaged investment bank Goldman Sachs to explore a sale of the sanctioning body for stock car racing. Now, no real reason necessarily why they're going down this path. NASCAR seems to be making money. Uh-huh. Uh, but they have seen attendance uh, revenue, people actually showing up and going to them, decline over the past decade. So they're trying to maybe figure out if somebody else could do a better job with it. So, I again, I know this is very near and dear to your heart, Bill. So I wanted to make sure that we got the NASCAR news in. Should I put morning. in a bid? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> why not? While we're talking sports, last night in the NBA, the Cleveland Cavaliers swept the number one seed Toronto Raptors. They beat them. It was not close. 128 to 93. Mm, this means that mm. LeBron James and the Cavaliers have now swept the, uh, the the Raptors two years in a row. They did it last year, too. Kind of embarrassing if you're the Raptors. They haven't won a game against the Cavaliers in the playoffs in the last two years. Uh, LeBron James will take part in his 10th conference final in the past 12 years next week. He's going to take on either the Boston Celtics or the Philadelphia 76ers. They played last night, and the Sixers stayed alive with a win. Boston leading that series three games to two. And one final story. So Benjamin Netanyahu and uh, Shinzo Abe had a dinner, and... As part of the dinner, they served dessert, and the dessert, the pastry chef served it in sort of an avant-garde way. He served it in a shoe. In a shoe? It was a serving dish that looked like a shoe, which, as many people have pointed out, in Japanese culture, that's not okay. He took it very, he was very, very offended by it. He took it, like, in like good heart. He, like, laughed it off, but that's something you definitely, absolutely do not want to do. So it was the Israeli pastry chef that served dessert in a shoe. But I remember they th- they threw they throw shoes in Iran, Iraq, sure, right? Sure, yeah. In Japan too. Well, they just it's it, like you take them off when you go in the house. It's a thing. Oh, got it's it. Thing. This is the Bill Press Show. What do you say, folks? Big day today, two o'clock uh, East Coast time. Donald Trump announcing. Uh, his plans on the uh, Iran nuclear deal. We think we know what decision he has already made. Uh, that's a big story of the day here from Washington, D.C. Good to see you today, and thank you for joining us. The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., our studio right here on Capitol Hill, where we uh, will bring you up to date on the news from Washington, around the country, around the globe. Invite your comments on Twitter. Uh, at BP Show. And don't forget, 
We're coming to you on every uh, platform that we know of and can join you. Uh, on Online, first of all, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And once again, let's remind you, check out our podcast. The podcast is up all day long. As soon as the show is over, the podcast is up. You can find it at, uh, at BillPressShow.com or anywhere you normally find your podcast, iHeartRadio or iTunes or whatever. Um, but join the podcast, listen to the podcast, any parts of the show that you might have missed or any parts you want to hear again. And don't forget, sign up uh, and become a regular member of our Bill Press team. Our podcasts have been hitting record numbers uh, every month, growing bigger and bigger. Uh, so um, we appreciate uh, your checking in. Yeah, make sure you do it. And by the way, if you subscribe, that's the only way that you get the bonus content. We put stuff out over the weekend. For example, this past week, we put out a podcast about Kanye West and all of the damage he's doing to his legacy by coming out and tying himself to Donald Trump. Uh, we put a podcast out there. Uh, didn't air on the show. You could only get it if you subscribe to the podcast, which you could do, as you mentioned, and iTunes, just look for Bill Press Show. Right. In addition to being online, we're joining, of course, on uh, television, on Free Speech TV, and on the great WCPT in Radio Land out in the greater uh, Chicago area. Uh, so on all of those uh, platforms. Um, I just wanted to bring you up to date on this uh, latest on the Iran deal, uh, and we'll be talking more about that in the next hour with Andrew Desiderio from uh, the Daily Beast, the next half hour, rather. Uh, Donald Trump tweeting this morning about um, John Kerry, uh, the former Secretary of State is doing everything, who, who negotiated the Iran nuclear deal um, three years ago for President Obama um, and for the United States. Uh, he has been out there talking to everybody they, that he can in the Trump administration to try to say it really makes sense, this is a good deal to stay in this deal, and it is a good deal, and we should stay in. But Donald Trump, not happy with John Kerry's uh, uh, actions, he tweets out just uh, 37 minutes ago, John Kerry can't get over the fact that he had his chance and blew it. Stay away from negotiations, John. You are hurting your country. Um, I guess Donald Trump wasn't listening yesterday when Melania said, be best. <laughs> Apparently not. Uh, right? Maybe. Just We should just respond back to him. Be best. Be best. Yes. That's what John Kerry should respond back. Be best. Uh, yes, and in studio with us, Emily Stewart uh, from Vox. I started to say BuzzFeed. <laughs> hey, Emily, it's good to see you. Um, tomorrow, big hearing with um, uh, for Gina Haspel, Regina. right, in the Senate Intelligence Committee. Yep. Right? Uh, Donald Trump's been tweeting about her, too, uh, I think earlier this morning. Yep, there was a tweet yes. this morning. If I can pull that up. Gina Haspel, the president, tweets, my highly respected nominee to lead the CIA is being praised for the fact that she has been and always will be tough on terror, all caps. This is a woman who has been a leader wherever she has gone. The CIA wants her to lead them into America's bright and glorious future. Uh, is she going to get nominated or confirmed? Well... It's been it's, nominated. Yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, you have, I think she's very controversial right now just because of some of her history with some torture um, years ago. 
And it's tough. I mean, it's a 51-49 split in the Senate. You have John McCain, who's not there, and Rand Paul has said he's not going to vote for her. Of course, Rand Paul ultimately voted for Mike Pompeo, so who knows? Um, but it, it, she has a, a Rand rough Paul, couple of days. Just interrupting. Rand Paul always says he's right. not going to uh, he's going to vote no, and then he always turns around. Exactly. I mean, the last time who was it, Peter? He said I changed my mind. I'm trying to think. It was Pompeo. Just, yeah, I think Pompeo. It was Pompeo. Yeah, Pompeo. Yeah. But he actually said mm-hmm. at that day, admitted the president called me and I changed my mind. Right. So, yeah. Take it for what it's worth. Exactly. When, when Rand Paul says I'm not going to vote for it, right? Right, and and you have some red state Democrats who might vote for her, but it, she does have a few tough days ahead of her. You saw that um, Washington report or Washington Post report last week that said on Friday she essentially tried to drop out. Said, you know what, I don't want to do this. She's looking at what happened with Ronnie Jackson, the White House doctor who was nominated for VA secretary, who ultimately dropped out. So I don't want to do this. And essentially, Sarah Huckabee Sanders and um, Mark Short reportedly went to Langley, Virginia, to speak with her at the CIA headquarters and convince her to stay in. And she's sticking with it. But she's in for a rough day tomorrow, probably. Right. Well, you have th- th- that's one big question is, uh, I think senators could rightfully ask, why do we want to give this woman the job when last Friday she said she was going to drop out? Right. And and I mean, it's yeah, if she <laughs> if she's not sure. Maybe she shouldn't do it. But yeah, at the same time, she's been at the CIA for decades now. The CIA seems to want her to be confirmed. And so, you know, she might also be thinking of the reputation of the agency, her own reputation. I mean, it's a personal decision that I don't know what I would do, but she certainly is looking at some things that she probably would rather not talk okay. about. Okay, all right. So in terms of the reputation of the agency, yes, she's been there 32, 33 years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but she's got some black marks on her record, right? Right. I mean, she's known that people say she's a nice person. She's been a good manager. The staff seems to like her. Uh, she comes from inside, not somebody from outside like Pompeo was. Right. Um, at the same time, I mean, she... Did well. You tell us that there are a couple of marks against her, which are right. I mean, essentially, the what, a main part of this is that in 2002 she oversaw a secret CIA site in Thailand, um, where a, a, a terrorist suspect was was tortured, was waterboarded, um, and then a few years later she was involved in the CIA's destruction of tapes of that torture. And now the Justice Department investigated that, ultimately did not bring charges. Um, you know, it, she was... Okay, it but was well, let's, 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 yeah. let's slow down. Right. All right. So first of all, torture is a war crime. Right. So she's overseeing a facility, a black site, right. where torture takes place, enhanced yes. interrogation techniques. Right. Takes place. Um, and... She did that willingly. Yes. Took the job willingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen the emails, but allegedly, or at least reportedly, there are hundreds of emails where she shows that you know she was comfortable in the job, right? Right. She wasn't complaining about, get me out of here. I, I, I don't want any part of this or anything. Right. No. So she willingly took the job. She was comfortable in the job. War crimes were committed under her supervision. That's one one strike. Then, three years later, as I understand it, she drafts the memo right. that was sent to the field officers in Thailand or wherever they were, who destroyed the videotape evidence of the waterboarding. Right. Right. 
So that's another crime, destroying evidence, right? Right. Now, yes, then she was investigated by a special prosecutor who did not file any charges. In fact, as we remember, no charges were filed against anybody who had anything to do with these so-called enhanced interrogation techniques. I remember uh, John Conyers, Congressman Conyers at Mm -hmm. the time, we had him on our show several times, talking about the fact that he was trying to persuade the, the Obama administration to go back and prosecute these crimes, and they never did. Right. I think wrongly so, but so she was part of that operation. So those are pretty serious charges, I guess is the point I'm making. Well, they're And serious. hard to overlook. And in yeah. terms of the reputation of the CIA, you know, that that's the question, right? Do you want somebody at the head of the CIA who was part of its darkest hour? Well, and you also have a situation where she will be answering to a president who has been pretty open that he would would be okay with bringing waterboarding back, allegedly. Um, where he's talked about, I mean, the campaign talked about it a lot, and you have people saying, well, Jim Mattis sort of talked him out of it, explained that that's not a good idea. But if, you have to wonder, if she didn't stand up to that in 2002 and 2005, what makes us know that she would stand up to it now in 2018 and say, no, we don't want to do this? That, that's the thing that's so I amazing. I think it's pretty clear she would not stand up to it now. No, would, no, no, of course not. I think that's what's so amazing about where we are right now. Like, we're having to relitigate waterboarding and torture and things like that, which I thought we had moved on from, like, as a country and as a society, right? Like, I thought that we had all accepted, like, that was a really bad thing. I think we had until Donald Trump. Yeah, that's fair. Until Donald Trump comes along. That's fair. Right? Yeah. Who uh, upsets the whole thing, takes it right back to, to... Now, waterboarding is considered, again, his tweet this morning, being tough Tough. on terror. Exactly. Right. Um, And there there is a difference between being tough on terror and breaking the law or torturing, right? War crimes. Uh, Or committing war crimes. Yeah. Right. Um, And uh, we played this clip a little earlier, but just coming back, uh, where, of course, Donald Trump gets, uh, we, we never know whether it's Donald Trump leading Fox and Friends or Fox and Friends leading Donald Trump, but they certainly s- sing from the, from the, uh, the same songbook. Um, and here is Brian Kilmeade on Fox and Friends uh, yesterday morning. 32-year career, and if she can just explain what she was doing, and I believe she should double down and say, I'm proud of what I accomplished, whether it was black sites, enhanced interrogation, and I dare anyone to sit in my shoes and accomplish as much as I've done. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of waterboarding. Proud of it. Proud of, proud of committing war crimes. Uh, but uh, basically, uh, the, the Sarah Huckabee Sanders, everybody at the White House is saying the, right. the same thing. So they're really putting on the full court press, pardon the pun. Um, uh, and even Mike Pence yesterday was calling on the Congress to endorse her. Um, they really want her. They really want her there. Right. And they're also sort of trying to cast her as sort of a feminist figure, which oh, yes. to me rings just so hollow. It's a, from this administration, that's like, okay, you guys aren't champions of feminism. <laughs> right, like, right. Come on. But, but just. Oh, Donald Trump, come on. <laughs> But also, like, I mean, for for women, like, okay, but she did, like, oversee the torturing of people at some point. Like, yes, I would like to see women in places of power, but that shouldn't override everything else about someone's record or their life. No, I know what you're referring to, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, mm-hmm. right, saying that if, a Demo- if you're a Democrat and you believe in the empowerment of women mm-hmm. and you believe in national security, 
then and you don't support her, you're a hypocrite. Right. This that doesn't add up, right? No. No, I mean, I, I, you can and I do fully support the empowerment of women, equal pay and top job, everything across the board, hundred percent. But that doesn't mean right. I support a woman who um, commits murder or commits a war crime. Right. Yeah, you know, they're not one and the same. No, right? absolutely. Yeah. Um, is there a plan B, or do you think they're just going to go to the wall with? I mean, I mean, she's going through right now. She's going through the hearing. Right. If they're sending her, they have to think that there's a way to get her through. Um, for some reason, they really are continuing to push her to go, and, and they've told her that they think that there is a way. And you know, I don't know if you see one of the red state Democrats or a few of them, a Joe Manchin, a Joe Donnelly, someone getting on board with her. But Joe I would Manchin's- assume that they think they can get her through. Joe Manchin seemed to be pretty on board with her when he did a little appearance with her uh, mm. yesterday, the day before, because <clears throat> he had a meeting with her and he came out and talked to reporters and just was very glowing about what he had heard. So Manchin might be the guy. It'll be interesting to watch Diane Feinstein, too, because, uh, I mean, first of all, it was Diane. It was the 2012 report of the committee that Senator Feinstein uh, oversaw, which mm. really detailed a lot of what happened in these black sites. Right. Particularly, I was looking for the name of the one from, uh, had a funny name, the one in Thailand. Something green, whatever. Um, at, at any rate, and so it, she, but despite that, when Regina Haspel was first nominated, Senator Feinstein was pretty positive, saying mm-hmm. she looks kind of good, right? She's been there, whatever. But I saw yesterday where she was quoted as saying, the more she looks into her record, the less enthusiastic she is about her. So uh, I could see there could be a big swing vote on the part of Senator Feinstein. I think it seems to me it would be very difficult for to explain, for Senator Feinstein to explain voting for her, right. given her background. Right. Well, and she's facing a, a primary in California, too, so she's probably also thinking about this politically and and. Supposedly, the Senate's yeah. in the Democratic primary in California. She doesn't get any points if she votes for. That right. Will, it, will, <laughs> it will hurt her in California if she votes for Gina Haspel. Yeah, right. no doubt about it. Right. Um, I, I think anybody sort of has a leg to stand on here to vote no for Gina Haspel. Absolutely. Anybody, Joe Manchin, like, come on. I mean, if you want to get out of this, you can get out of this. Yeah, yeah. We're not a country that tortures. I'd like to have someone leaving the CIA that doesn't torture. The, there, there you go. go. Not difficult. Pretty easy. I think that could sell in West Virginia. I think it could sell in Indiana, in Montana, in North Dakota, wherever these senators are in these so-called difficult red state reelect campaigns for Democrats. Right. Uh, they don't have to. They don't have to uh, uh, to run away from this one. Uh, so uh, w- one of those um, red states is West Virginia. West Virginia, uh, with a big primary today. Um, there are primaries in other states. Just uh, just uh, uh, rush through them just a little bit. Uh, big governor's primary in Ohio. Right. Uh, Richard Cordray and the Democrat on the Democratic side. Richard Cordray versus former Congressman Dennis Kucinich. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cordray out in front, but Kucinich has been putting up a. It's sort of become a establishment um, Bernie kind of 
challenge there, huh? Right, but but Elizabeth Warren is back in Cordray. I mean, he was the head of the CFPB, the Consumer yeah. Financial Protection Bureau, so that's obviously sort of her baby, but it, it is a, a funny sort of split that you would see Warren back in Cordray and then the, not necessarily Sanders, but the Sanders group, our revolution, going with Kucinich. So it will be interesting to see how that goes today. Right. Um and in primaries in North Carolina and Indiana, I haven't followed those that closely, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, a little, I mean, North Carolina, I think it's a lot of congressional races. And then in Indiana, it's it's to see who goes up against Joe Donnelly for the Senate seat on the Republican side. Um, so those are going to be kind of big to watch to see sort of how that plays out. But, but the know, big one is starting. West Virginia. And, you know, so uh, Blankenship, Don Blankenship. Right. Former mining executive, um, Peter. Do we have that bite that uh, the uh, ad that he played that uh, he ran? Give yesterday? me a second. Let me grab okay. it. Okay. Um, but he is running. Even Donald Trump now has come out against Blankenship, right. saying Blankenship can't win right. in West Virginia, so you can't vote for him. He's telling Republicans that, and yet Blankenship seems to be leading in the in the polls, right? Right. Well, there's some internal polling that he's leading. And you also see Trump tweeted yesterday, don't vote for Blankenship. But then he says, vote for the other one of the other two, Jenkins or Morrissey. Well, I mean, maybe you should pick one at some point and help people <laughs> vote for one or the other because you're just splitting it between the two. I mean, it, it seems like you saw that, I think, Weekly Standard story yesterday that Blankenship seems to be leading by a little bit in internal polling. But if you have even the president saying, okay, vote for one of the other two, it's maybe not the, the wisest tactic there. Uh, that doesn't help you defeat Blankenship necessarily no. if, you, if you tell Republicans, yeah, right, go this direction or go that direction. Right. So the anti-Blankenship vote is split up, which exactly. does nothing but, but help Blankenship. So um, here he is yesterday in one of the most, ra one of the most racist ads I think we've ever heard. He's referring, of course, to it's an anti-Mitch McConnell ad uh, and referring to Mitch McConnell's wife, Elaine mm -hmm. Chow, a Chinese-American, and her father, who is a big shipping, her, her father, yes, a big okay. shipping company, mm -hmm. right. So, uh, Blankenship. Hi, I'm Don Blankenship, candidate for U.S. Senate, and I approve this message. Swamp Captain Mitch McConnell has created millions of jobs for China people. While doing so, Mitch has gotten rich. In fact, his China family has given him tens of millions of dollars. Mitch's swamp people are now running false negative ads against me. They are also childishly calling me despicable and mentally ill. The war to drain the swamp and create jobs for West Virginia people has begun. I will beat Joe Manchin and ditch cocaine Mitch for the sake of the kids. It's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see how it works out for him, where he actually acknowledges that people are calling him mentally ill in an ad <laughs> that makes him sound mentally ill. I'm going to ditch cocaine Mitch. By the way, didn't, by the way, it's hard to hear, but in, I, doesn't it start off where he calls him Swamp Captain? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mitch Swamp McConnell. Captain Mitch McConnell. <laughs> cocaine Mitch, that's new. I hadn't heard that. I mean, I knew it was in the ad, but I. I... Co cocaine Mitch, because on one of the ships, on a ship owned by Secretary Chow, she's Secretary of Transportation, mm -hmm. one of the ship owned by Secretary Chow's father. At one time years ago, they found some cocaine. Right. So that is the is the reason that cocaine he Mitch. gets away with calling him cocaine, Mitch. By the way, I I watched 
I saw a special, not a special, but some news reports on this race yesterday. Do you ever notice, I mean, when Blankenship talks, you can't see his lips move. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. He was standing there, and I thought somebody else was talking, and then I realized he was talking. He's, I don't know, he's kind of weird. but Kind of weird. He's pretty weird. Right. So here's a man who's he's head of this, he's got this big, I forget the name of the coal mine, right? Uh, and violating all the safety regulations uh, uh, of the, the federal government safety regulations on this coal mine. 29 people die in this mine. Right. He goes to prison, right, right for a year, whatever. He's on probation. Yeah. Right? And now he's running for the Senate, and he could. He could win this primary today. Yeah, I mean, you see, like, he got out of prison like less than a year ago or about yeah, a year yeah. ago. Like, that's not a long time. Um, but I, I think that you know, the Republicans are sort of looking at what could be, they're worried another Roy Moore situation, which is what happened in the Alabama Senate race where you have Roy Moore ends up as a Republican nominee. Um, then all of these allegations come out about him having inappropriate relationships with very young women beyond all of the other things about him that were a little bit troubling. Um, and you have Doug Jones now, a Democratic senator from Alabama. And I think that, you know, when you Republicans are looking at a Joe Manchin who they think they have a, a decent chance of beating, um, and if you nominate a, a Don Blankenship, face another Roy Moore situation, potentially. You saw Trump yesterday tweeting, let's not do another Alabama repeat. Um, mm -hmm. and, th and they're worried, but I don't know. This keeps happening where these guys sort of appear and then they kind of take off and no one can figure out how to sort of beat them on the Republican side. Well, let's point out that Donald Trump endorsed Roy right. Moore. He right, he did. Yeah, I mean, he was there for Luther Strange first, but he endorsed Roy Moore. Right. And so, um, you know what, I'll bet you if Don Blankenship wins this primary, Donald Trump will be Blankenship. I mean, uh, he'll enjoy Don Blankenship. Guaranteed. What? Yeah. Guaranteed. Right. Yeah. No matter how bad he is, no matter what, whatever his record is, yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll endorse him. Uh, and it, it's interesting, too, that Trump had not said anything about this until Mitch McConnell, who's so worried that he right. will be the nominee, that he convinced the White House uh, to get them to... To, to have Trump tweet out something yesterday about this race. Right. Well, and last week you actually saw that, that Donald Trump's son, Donald Trump Jr., had tweeted about it, and Blankenship responded to him on Twitter. And his whole sort of line is like, this is some Obama-motivated attack on me. But at the end of the day, you were violating health standards that resulted in 29 coal miners dying. Trump allegedly is this big friend of, of coal miners in the coal community, just no. I mean, that, that's really bad. You killed 29 people, essentially. Didn't uh, Blankenship yesterday, Peter, you were saying, uh, when in response to Donald Trump's tweet, Blankenship's response was... He said, I'm Trumpier than Trump. <laughs> I'm Trumpier than Trump. I mean... Wait, that's a great bumper sticker. You put Exactly. Trumpier than Trump. Vote Blankenship. He's R Trumpier than Trump. <sighs> Oh, my God. Yeah, if they had thought of that themselves earlier, right? Yeah. You'd seen that all over West Virginia, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Trumpier than Trump, I'm telling you. Oh, man. So it's a big day there, um, Emily, a lot a, a lot to watch today and um, uh, and a lot to watch tomorrow. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, that's a good reason for uh, following Vox.
box.com. Emily, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Andrew DeSiderio joins us next from uh, the Daily Beast, congressional reporter for the uh, Daily Beast. Uh, And uh, we'll be talking about what we might expect from Donald Trump on that Iran deal today and all the latest with uh, Rudy Giuliani. Uh, A quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back here at the Bill Press Show on this Tuesday, May 8th. This is the Bill Press Show. How about it? Tuesday. It's a big Tuesday, May 8th. Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. The Bill Press Show, live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital with all the news of the day. And uh, your chance to sound off about it on Twitter, at the BP Show. Joining us here in studio to carry us through the uh, rest of the show, congressional reporter for the Daily Beast, Andrew DeSiderio. Andrew, what's going on? A lot's going on. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, I tell you, no rest for the weary, man. That's right. With this news cycle. We had one recess week last week, and it was nice, but now we're just way back into it now. No, but that recess, think about what happened in that recess week last week, right? That was a big week. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, Rudy Giuliani told us that the president actually um, ended up repaying. Mm Mm-hmm. Paying back, uh, and Michael he suggested Cohen. that there are more women. Suggested there are, pay- there are more women. Yeah. Uh, last week, the Washington Post reported uh, that in the first 446 days of the Trump administration, he had made 3,001 false and misleading claims, meaning he told 3,001 lies. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we also had the president announcing that he was hiring a man by the name of Emmett Flood, whom he had earlier said he would never hire in a million years. I think very interesting. Not it hasn't been enough attention to this, but Emmett Flood was part of the team defending Bill Clinton in his impeachment hearings. Mm-hmm. So why would Donald Trump hire someone a, with experience, an in expert, that. right, yeah. <laughs> in uh, in fighting off impeachment hearings? I think it's a very transparent strategy on their part, uh, and I think a lot of what we saw from Rudy last week was extremely transparent in terms of what they're trying to do and be right. more aggressive against the special counsel. Right, right. Yeah. Now, so I'm just pointing out, even a week off last week, Yeah. Uh, there was uh, a lot happening. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Indeed. But less less with Congress, right. which was good. <laughs> right. Um, so the big story today is that at 2 o'clock this afternoon, mm-hmm. and you've been writing about this, uh, Donald Trump is going to announce what he's going to do about the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, and this on the wake of visits by the president of France, Emmanuel Macron, the chancellor of Germany, mm-hmm. uh, Angela Merkel, and the foreign minister of uh, foreign secretary, right, of the UK, yeah. who was here yesterday, yesterday. Uh, all of whom, Boris Johnson, all of whom here to convince the president, uh, yeah, it's not a perfect deal. It does have some flaws, but better to stay in it and work toward fixing it rather than mm-hmm. pulling out. Well, they've been trying to fix it for months now. U.S. and European partners have mm-hmm. been negotiating over a bunch of key points. The European partners actually agree with the U.S. on a lot of these changes to the mm-hmm. deal with regard to ballistic missiles and the frequency of nuclear inspections. The one hang-up, according to what I've been told, is the the issue of the sunsets, the idea that some provisions of the deal sunset or end in 10, 15, 20 years. Um, That's something that they haven't been able to agree on up to this point. And Congress has been reticent to do anything about it in terms of getting rid of the certification requirements for Trump to do this every 90 days, right? But 
Democrats aren't going to go along with those attempts until they know that they have a framework in place with the Europeans, such that they know that whatever Congress changes domestically won't imperil the existing deal. So, so, so it looks like the president has two choices, either stay in and work, continue to yeah. work to improve the deal, mm-hmm. or just get out. Get out. And the way you would get out is you would reimpose sanctions by the May 12th deadline. Okay. Um, and it, right. once you reimpose sanctions, you effectively pull us out of the deal because we are immediately in violation of the terms. Okay. What's he going to do? I think he's going to pull us out. Um, the president said last time. Uh, there can't be. There's no doubt that's what he's going to do. Yeah. Right? Um, I, I think that's what Every he's going to do. Every sign of it. Is but the last, at the last certification deadline, he said, this is the last time I'm going to do this, meaning okay. the last time I'm going to certify the terms of the deal. And I'm sure it. It killed him every time to have to certify the terms of a deal that he campaigned so vehemently against uh, when he was running for president. Um, but I think that's what he's going to do. And uh, he, again, he said that that was the last time he was going to do it. He put a deadline on this in terms of when the negotiations with the European partners should or shouldn't end. Um, and, you know, a lot of people in the White House are treating it as a foregone conclusion. Some on Capitol Hill are still holding out hope. Uh, I talked to Congressman Mark Meadows last week, who has the president's ear. They speak regularly. Um, And he told me that uh, a lot of lawmakers, particularly on the Foreign Affairs Committee where he sits, um, were thinking that the president could, uh, at least for the meantime, waive the sanctions so as to not allow a U.S. withdrawal from the Iran deal to create a distraction from North Korea and China. Because according to Mark Meadows, those two issues are on the president's top of the president's mind even more than Iran right now. And he thought that the president at the time, last week at least, wouldn't want to risk a U.S. withdrawal from the Iran deal. Uh, you know, uh, he, he didn't he want that uh, to risk, um, you know, wreaking havoc on the negotiations with North Korea and with China over trade policy. That, by the way, is kind of where I fall on this. Like, I would not I would not undersell the idea of Donald Trump finding a politically uh, I don't want to say politically savvy because there's not much politically savvy about anything that he does. But that, like I, finding a way to thread the needle a little <laughs> yes. bit to stay in the Iran deal, but make it look like we're leaving the Iran deal, but also saving a little bit of face. Right, exactly. And this is a suggestion that Republicans had up to this point really dismissed. Um, so for Mark Meadows to suggest that and to say it wasn't a foregone conclusion last week that we're going to pull out, I think that was big. But I think. The rhetoric we've seen lately um, and just, you know, the mood uh, after the British Foreign Secretary's visit, Angela Merkel's visit, the French president's visit, they've all basically said, I think Macron said it publicly, um, that he thinks that uh, the president is going to pull us out of the deal. So, mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know, when you look at it, uh, NAFTA, boom. T- uh, the TPP, boom. Paris, of course, Paris, yeah. boom. This, I mean, it's so, sort of like he's ready to shred any deal that was made in any area before he got here, yeah. simply because he's a better dealmaker than anybody else who ever lived. I'll point out that executive agreements... In his mind. Yeah. Executive agreements don't usually stand the test of time from presidency to presidency, but we haven't seen them, you know, ripped up, for lack of a better phrase, this soon, you know, this fast uh, into a presidency like this. Or and wholesale, just like redefining... Like in a wholesale fashion. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's right. what's new, I think. Okay. So if the United... Whether he finds a way to thread the needle, as Peter said, which is possible, I think he might try to find some middle ground today, Mm -hmm. too. Um, But it's certainly re-endorsing the deal or continuing the deal is not an option. 
It's either going to be. It's not something he wants to do, and he has fewer people around him. I'll also point out that would move him toward that position. Tillerson's gone. McMaster yeah. has uh, is gone. Yeah. My colleagues and I had been reporting a couple months ago that McMaster was actually working closely with Democrats and Republicans on Capitol Hill to try to change the domestic legislation mm-hmm. that would not allow the not not force the president to have to yeah. certify the terms of the deal every 60 days. Right. So he's gone. Tillerson is gone. These are people that used to bring the president toward more mainstream positions, okay. even when they failed most of the All time. All right. So okay, I guess the question is, what is the impact then of uh, of the of uh, if, if his decision is either fully or m- halfway out? Is there still an Iran nuclear deal? No. I mean, the, you know, the European partners had, but, uh, have said... But the other countries are still there. They're, they're still going to be there, but Iran's probably going to leave. They have no reason to stay. They're they're actually opening, openly threatening to leave as well if, if the U.S. leaves. I believe the Iranian ambassador to the U.K. Uh, said during a TV interview last week that Iran could actually start u- enriching uranium again um, because then they're not bound by the terms of the deal. Um, so, you know, every, everybody's been warning, you know, uh, if we do pull out, what's the step two? And we don't know what the step two is. So the whole thing, even though the Europeans uh, would would they have expressed a desire to stay, but right. Iran will probably. What is Russia and China saying? They, they haven't been saying much, to be honest with you. Um, they're engaged in their own diplomatic uh, efforts and sometimes conflicts. Yeah, sometimes conflicts with the United States, but they haven't been a focus of this. They have not been a party to the the negotiations between the U.S. and the Europeans. Um, you know, President Putin and President Xi. Um, I'm per, at least what I've been told would be would be fine with any changes that are made to those three um, components I outlined: the ballistic missiles, mm-hmm. the sunsets, and the inspections. Um, so they haven't been even expressed an interest in being part of these negotiations. They would obviously like to stay, but it's not a major, um, you know, uh, diplomatic priority for them as it is for Europe and as it is for the United States because Europe, your European partners are the ones that are starting to do business with Iran right now. And if we reimpose sanctions, we're reimposing sanctions against our own European partners because they're the ones doing business with the Iranians. Right. So the players in this, it's interesting. I mean, when you think that our three strongest allies, really and historically our three strongest allies, are there saying, please, Mr. President, don't do this. Mm -hmm. It looks like Donald Trump is going to say, you know, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do this. And the only other person on the other side is B.B. Netanyahu, mm-hmm. who has been, was against this deal before it was hatched yeah. and has been against it ever since and came out with that total BS news conference last week, right, where it didn't really prove anything, did it? Well, the, what the information that he revealed was stuff that was known to all the parties of the agreement before the Iran deal was signed. So I think it was an attempt by him. It was more of a PR campaign and really a just attempt to get into President Trump's head and, and into his mind and there say, you know, this is why. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. So it was totally. so fascinating how, again, like we've talked about this before, Donald Trump tends to latch onto and grab onto the last thing that he heard. Right. Yeah. So you had Macron. Or sees on television. Or sees mm-hmm. on television. So you had Macron over here trying to sort of figure out a way to talk him into it. You had uh, Merkel trying to talk him into it. But Netanyahu knows that it really doesn't matter how effective the argument has to be. You just have to be the last one to talk, like, to get a message to Trump. Mm-hmm. And he did this great big splashy news conference with the with all the slides. It was very and, elegantly and, done, and the, to files, be honest, sure. the files on the stage. Mm-hmm. But all it proved was that Iran had a nuclear weapons program 
before at one time yeah and, and you saw the white that. house had to correct their we statement all knew that. right they went in which from... they said iran has and then they had to correct it to iran had right um you know you can say it's a typo but uh if you're listening to what netanyahu is saying and the way he's framing things that's my that's how that might be how you want to frame it too so um yeah uh and and the role of congress in this is just as a bystander, as a basically, they're they're essentially powerless right now. What they were trying to do, as I mentioned before, was work with H.R. McMaster to change the terms of the legislation that was passed, actually as an attempt to handicap President Obama and then maybe future President Hillary Clinton to sort of embarrass them in a way and get them to certify the terms of the deal every sixty or ninety days. But it's it's become a distraction and a problem for President Trump. Um, so what they've been trying, what they were trying to do was salvage the deal in a way that we'd be able to quietly stay in it without requiring the president who campaigned so vehemently against the deal to go out every 60 or 90 days to a wave sanctions and b uh to certify that the u.s and certify that iran excuse me is in compliance with the terms of the deal right um but that effort is dead so um, um former secretary of state john Kerry has been uh, talking to some people john uh, uh to, to try to um, convince uh, them to convince Trump put, to stay in the deal. Yeah, John, uh, the president this morning tweeting about John Kerry telling him basically to mind his own business. John, you're just hurting your country. Who's who's Kerry been talking to? Well, he's been talking to uh, European partners. He obviously has strong relationships with relationships with yeah, a lot of them. Right. A lot of them are still yeah, in office. Who put he the worked deal with? Together. It was his baby. It really was. This is what he he helmed and spearheaded when he was Secretary of State, and you know he views it as his signature accomplishment. And obviously, I mean, it, it's obvious that if you know he would be upset if it scuttled and if if we rip it up, right? Because yeah. this was his major accomplishment. What he views as his major accomplishment. It shouldn't surprise anyone that he's doing this. Uh, no. But what, what some people on the right are saying is that this could be a violation of the Logan Act, which is a very historic law yeah. uh, that says that if you're a private citizen, you can't negotiate on behalf of the U.S. government. I think it dates back to the revolution. Yeah, I mean, early it's, it's, 1800s. Yeah, like you, yeah. you can't... It, it hasn't been prosecuted, you know, in modern times. It's very, it's but basically he's impossible got these to relationships prosecute. With, I mean, he's former Secretary of State. He yeah. has these relationships. You could raise concerns about the level of, of the talks. Let me tell you something. But... Condi Rice still talks to people that she dealt with when she was Secretary yeah. of State. So does mm -hmm. Colin Powell. That's a, that's a just, yeah. And it's just hard to prosecute. It's just not a sound argument, I don't think. So. No. Um, uh, and, um, yeah, I, I'm surprised we haven't heard from Barack Obama on this because. You know, it he's was also been also one of his signature accomplishments. That's right. Yeah, he's been quiet on a lot of stuff though throughout this presidency. To be fair to him, mm -hmm. um, and you know, some I think might he, say too quiet. Yeah. Again, I, I think he feels that uh, you know he was very hard on President Bush, and then President Bush showed him the respect to not you know meddle in his affairs or speak out or something like that. So I think what Obama views is that he has an obligation to do the same thing. To President Trump, he's spoken out on a couple of things. DACA was one of them. Uh, Obamacare was another, I think. Um, but you're right; he has been pretty quiet. Whatever he said, you know that he was he would stand. By the way, I respect President Bush for staying on the sidelines. I respect President Obama for staying yeah. on the sidelines, unless there's something like that's really, really important. And I think uh, <clears throat> nuclear weapons uh, <laughs> is really, really important. Yeah. And, and having Iran resume its nuclear weapons program. Is really really important. Something, who knows? After this announcement, we don't want to see. Yeah, after this announcement, we might see something from the former president. Who knows? Yeah, not that. By the way, he would have any influence on no. Trump. No, actually, he still. might. 
that have the opposite influence <laughs> exactly. because we know that President Trump is trying to do everything he can to cancel out Obama's legacy. Yeah. So uh, now, uh, without getting too deep in the weeds here, you've written this morning about yes the Treasury Department. What impact the yeah. president's decision could have on yeah. So the Office of Foreign Assets Control is the very tiny federal agency within. It's an intelligence agency within the Treasury Department. They call it financial intelligence, which is responsible for enforcing economic sanctions against Russia, North Korea, um, Iran, Venezuela, narco terrorists, all these people in the world, right? And they are already extremely understaffed, underfunded, overexerted. And I talked to a lot of current and former U.S. officials that were able to testify to that, uh, including former employees of OFAC, uh, the Office of Foreign Assets Control. If we reimpose sanctions against Iran, if that's the president's decision today, that could have a dramatic effect on how the resources within that office are allocated. There's only about 200 employees so if you take people off of the North Korea portfolio, the Russia mm-hmm. portfolio, right? North Korea is extremely important right now as we're gearing up for this expected summit between President Trump and, and Kim Jong-un. If you take all those people off of that portfolio and then all of a sudden have to shift them to Iran, it's a process that could take months. And you're you're you know basically using your dedicated resources to something that uh, you know was manufactured and created by the president when even he is someone who has acknowledged that North Korea is his top issue right mm-hmm. now. But you'd be taking people off of that, essentially, uh, in this tiny federal agency. It's a very important one, uh, and it doesn't get a lot of attention, but it's uh, extremely underfunded, understaffed, and overexerted. So another negative impact, potential negative impact right. of, the, of, of the president's issue. Andrew mm-hmm. um, Desiderio covers a Congress for the Daily Beast. Uh, here in studio with us, it's the dailybeast.com. Uh, now, there's an interesting little uh, discussion going on in Congress right now, triggered by um, Senator John McCain uh, dealing with, this, with breast cancer out in Arizona. May, brain cancer. Brain cancer, sorry. Thank you. Um, may or may not ever be back to the Senate. Um, uh, he has a new book coming out. Uh, he's been meeting with people, friends, like both parties, like Joe Biden was there. Um and a couple of days ago, he said that he um, doesn't want Donald Trump at his funeral. Um, Aaron Hatch yesterday, senator from Utah, said that's a big mistake. He should change his mind. He should invite the president for his funeral. Mm-hmm. I mean, what the hell does Aaron Hatch have to do with – doesn't John McCain have a right to decide – Who's going to be at his funeral and who isn't? Yeah, of course he does. I mean, it's obviously a very sad topic, and I think I what's— Aaron Hatch was way over the line to just get involved in that at all. I think what, what's even worse is the just vile um, tweets we've seen from people, some people on the right, trying, sort of like cheering on McCain's death and saying, you know, if he's not going to invite President Trump, then whatever, you know, this guy is not a hero, he's not this, he's not that. Um, I've course, been I've been disgusted course, by that. No, but pardon me. Of course, Donald, Donald Trump, Trump is the has first said one that. to say that exactly. Donald yeah, McCain but, is not a hero because yeah he was a, a prisoner of war. He right. was a captain. And I will say also when you do this so job, I prefer when, people who don't get uh, you know right. And when you do this job and you're on Capitol Hill every day and you talk to senators, you forge relationships with these people, and you get to know the ones who are really the the good-hearted ones and the ones that are there for good reasons, both Democrats and Republicans. Um, for me, John McCain has always been someone who, you know, who f- definitely fits into that category. Um, and I think for all of us in the Capitol Hill press corps, it's been tough for us to see him 
sort of in the middle of these political battles as he's really fighting for his life um and it's uh, it's just is, really tough this is personal really you mm-hmm. know when it gets down to well, that, that i think yeah you know that that really is sort of what like when we talk about donald trump right and we talk about the hijacking of the Republican Party, which I don't think he really hijacked the Republican Party. I think that they allowed him to they, thrive. They there. invited him in. But the thing that Donald Trump created was, again, we say this all the time, sort of saying the quiet part loud and being able to say these horrible things out loud and not face any repercussions for them. Like you get to, like, I, I'd like to think that we could have a president of the United States who wouldn't mock someone for being a, a POW, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Which is what Donald Trump did with John McCain. And so, something else McCain said over the weekend. I never took it back. No. That's right. No, never that's apologized. a good point. Never yeah. even came close to apologizing. Mm-hmm. Um, over the weekend, he also mentioned that, McCain mentioned that he regretted uh, having yeah. chosen Sarah Palin and he wishes he chose Joe Lieberman. And you talk about the hijacking of the Republican Party. One of the key figures in that I think, you know, if you think it was hijacked or not, but people who have come to prominence, you know, in, in recent years in Republican politics, Sarah Palin is one of them. And, and I think John McCain views himself as partly responsible for that, for having thrust well, her into the national stage. And and thus partly responsible for Donald Trump, because, you know, Donald Trump is Sarah yeah, Palin. I think that was his tacit acknowledgement by saying that he should have chosen someone else, whether it's Joe Lieberman or whatever, you know, and but that, looking that, back. And that is sort of where all of this began. Yeah, really, with absolutely. Sarah Palin, right? Yeah. You you allowed people to say whatever they want to say, whether it's true or not, or whether it's nasty or not, with and like just be allowed to say it without repercussion, and then have the party rally around them to defend them. Yeah, yeah. I I I I would. I just my advice to Arn Hatch is shut up, John McCain. It's <laughs> it's up to him who's at his funeral and that, and you should have nothing to say about it. We should bring up again that we have a pact, Bill, that uh, I don't want Donald Trump at my That's funeral, you don't right. want Donald Trump at your funeral. <laughs> right, okay. Whichever one of us dies first, yes. we're going to we're gonna be bouncer at the funeral to make sure Donald Trump doesn't show up. I've got your back. I'll I got there. you, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to happen on uh-uh. my watch. That motorcade pulls up, uh-uh. <laughs> Shut the doors to the church. Right. <clears throat> Let's assuming they would allow either one of us in a church. Fair. <laughs> um... What's happening with Rudy Giuliani? So what I've been really just flabbergasted by, by this whole legal strategy is, and, and by the way, I'll point out that a couple of months ago, my colleagues and I at the Daily Beast first reported that the president was going to take a more aggressive legal strategy with regard to the special counsel. That means calling him out by name, the White House press office putting in a statement, the Russian witch, witch hunt, things like that, more aggressively confronting the investigation and trying to dispute the credibility of it. I think a lot of that has borne out into fruition. But at the same time, the pitfalls of this aggressive strategy is that you have Rudy Giuliani out there contradicting things that the president has said in the past. That does not help their legal case. What they're trying to do in this investigation is prove that the president is more truthful than James Comey. Right. James Comey made all these claims in his memos about his conversations with the president. If you're trying to prove that the president is more truthful than James Comey, you shouldn't be going out there and saying things that contradict things that the president said in the past. Right. You're not doing it under penalty of perjury right now because he's just saying it you know, in public to the media. Yeah, there's no legal penalty to that. But when you're trying to convince the investigators that the president is more truthful than James Comey, your aggressive legal, legal strategy of the last week or so is not working. Right. I mean, it totally simple. undercut everything they've done. For yeah. months, the denials have been, 
We've seen that video over and over. Donald Trump on Air Force One. Mm -hmm. Did you know about the payment to Stormy Daniels? No. Mm -hmm. Rudy Giuliani says, yep, he knew about it. And he paid it back. And he paid it back. Yep. So suddenly the whole story of the last few months is gone, mm -hmm. right? Uh, someone said earlier on the show, if you can shock Sean Hannity, you know, that's... <laughs> His reaction was interesting. <laughs> Classic. He was, like, he was like, oh, oh, he paid it back. I didn't know that. And then Rudy pauses and said, realizes what he said, uh -oh. and he goes, yeah, he did. <laughs> in installments, right? Yeah, in That makes it better. That yeah. makes it better that he paid it right. uh, uh, in installments. So, but, so um, there's a report this morning I saw somewhere that now Donald Trump may be having, oh, man, how, how many times Second have we thoughts? seen? Second thoughts? How many times have we seen this story? <laughs> Is he going to last longer than the mooch, though? Um, it's a good question. Good question. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know how many days in we are. Mooch was eleven. Mooch was eleven. Somebody, yeah. yeah well, we, we should we should figure that out. Yeah. Well, of course, it it depends on when Rudy started. I mean, like Friday, Donald Trump said Rudy just started yesterday. Yeah, well, which was not true. Which was not true, right? He'd been around. Um, uh, and also, uh, reportedly this morning, Scott Pruitt is now um, he's running out of his patience with Scott Pruitt too. That's right. Yeah, um, it's just a miracle to me that he's still hanging on, that he's still there. If you just think about everything that he has, uh, you know, all these scandals and everything, it's just it's just crazy to me. And it goes down to the fact that re Senate Republicans do not want to have to confirm another stinking nominee. They are so tired of this process. Yeah. I, it's John Cornyn told me a couple weeks ago when, you know, about the, the VA uh -huh. secretary. He said, you know, I don't want it to be a sitting cabinet member because then I don't want ha us to have to confirm two positions. Right. Thank you, Andrew. Have a great day, folks. We'll see this you tomorrow. This is the <laughs> Bill Press Show. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.